Now, I'm going to ask a silly question. Have you been blessed? Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but after that Daniel 8 Bible study, um, I really did have a headache. But, <laughs> but it was in a good way. I was really charged up from that Bible study. I was so amped up from that Bible study. And it really gave me the energy to come before you in more confidence uh, than I did before. And I praise God because he answered prayer with that Bible study. And I was thinking, I said, you know what, Lord? We got it really good. This church, you all, we got it really good. When I was, uh, I, I was raised a Muslim, and when, my, when I came into the faith I, faith, I was a teenager, and they didn't have anything like this when I was a teenager. No GYCs, no armies, no ASIs, no iShares, nothing of the sort. Do you know what they had for me when I was a teenager? Oh, Path, come on, Pathfinders. Pathfinders, you know, I was, I was too cool for Pathfinders. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, my, my brother, was, we did Pathfinders, but we only did it because we weren't with the Pathfinders. We were in the drum corps, you know, we played. Yeah, we was banging on the drums, which, you know, I'm not banging on no drums nowadays. Amen. Amen. But the point of me saying all this is that I, we, we, we really need to treasure these moments. Amen. These moments that we have to fellowship with one another, to be in the presence of God, to learn of his word in such a magnificent way is a tremendous blessing that I don't think we really realize how big of a blessing it is, and we won't realize until we get the glory. And he says, and he shows us, you see, I gave you this, 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 because this is coming. And I just want to talk, you know, you know I, was, I was like, Lord, you know what? Out of all the messages to give, this is a strong message, and I said, Lord, this is not really the message to give right before you go to bed. <laughs> you know? But it's a testament to the times we're living in. The night is soon approaching. And so it is my prayer that you would pray for yourselves and me while we listen to the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let us bow our heads and pray. Father, we just want to thank you. Oh, Lord, you have treated us in such a special way. I don't know about your people, Lord, and I'm sure they can testify to the same, that, Lord, I feel spoiled by your love, richly spoiled. Even when I am faithless, you are always faithful. You have never failed me, Lord, and that's why I praise you right now. Hallelujah. I bless your name, oh, Lord. I magnify your name. I worship you, God. Before all your people, I want to say I love you and I appreciate you. And I'm sure they, they, they feel the same way, Lord. You've given us such good gifts, Lord. I pray the messages and, and the movings of your Holy Spirit, we would never forget. And so, Lord, I just continue to thank you because I know you have already blessed. In Jesus' name, let God's people say Amen. 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 Praise his name. Praise his name. The title should be, not a storm is coming, but the storm is here. Because the beginnings of the storm are already happening right now. 
And I want to talk about this storm because God has laid it upon my heart a couple months ago that my people are not in the position where they are prepared for this storm. Not only that, is that my people have heard about the storm so frequently they have become desensitized. To the point now where we hear the messages that we've heard so many times, it inadvertently creates a small seed of doubt. Where you, I've heard it before, I've heard it before, but you truly don't believe it. Do you know why? Because your life testifies to the fact that you don't believe it. And if we're in the later seat in church in this storm that's approaching, mercy, mercy me. The storm that I want to talk about that's approaching, it's, it's, it's really the, I think, the, the biggest Bible prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled second to the second coming. In this storm, the complete fulfillment of the second angel's message will be fulfilled. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Do you know Babylon has not completely fallen yet? It has fallen morally, but the fulfillment of Babylon's fall takes place in this storm. The third angel's message will be preached with such power and vigor during this storm. The first angel's message, everything that we're living out on this earth comes to a climax in this storm. In this storm, every person on the face of this earth will be faced with a decision to obey God or obey man. And so what we're going to do here is just go back to the basics. God has said, you know what, Adam, a lot of people pretend they front, they, they, they put on this facade that they know the word. But let's walk through the forecast a little bit of the storm and understand it. Then we're going to deal with some doubts, whether it be in our hearts or the world. Because, you know, what? if we're going to preach this message, we need to know about the storm. And here's what I mean, because the storm I'm talking about is in Revelation chapter 13. This is the climax of the great controversy, so to speak. It's where Satan's master plan will be rolled out in all his effort, all his power to deceive with all deceivableness, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, will be rolled out in Revelation chapter 13. Guess what? God's power rolled out in all its mass and its, and its powerful force will be rolled out in Revelation chapter 13. So you have Satan unloading everything he has and God unloading everything he has all in this storm. It's going to be a storm of storms. So Revelation chapter 13 speaks of this forecast. So bear with me for a moment. We're just going to walk through the scriptures and see what the Bible says. Is it okay if we go through the Bible? Are we not going back to the basics? Back to the basics. Revelation 13, we learned about the beast coming out of the sea, the waters, and the beast coming out of the earth. Quick testimony. I don't know if uh, Elder, Elder Gregory's here, but on the way up here, I said, Lord, why is the papacy in this prophecy a beast that is predominantly leopard-like? That was my question on the way up here. That was my question, because I understood the papacy in Revelation 2, Revelation 14, Revelation 17, Daniel 7, 2 Thessalonians, and I understand the papacy here, but I said, Lord, why is it 
predominantly leopard-like. And the Lord answered my prayer in that Daniel chapter 8 study. Praise the Lord. Prophecy of this storm speaks of the papacy, which we know is this beast, the leopard-like beast. And for those who who are not here, it's leopard-like because it has Greek attributes, characteristics. And if you come to the workshop tomorrow, we're going to expound a little bit more uh, upon that. But anyhow, the second beast we know as what or who? Now, I want some interaction here because I'm getting kind of hot. And the second one is the United States of America. Now, we don't have time to break down why, but through your own Bible study, you'll figure this out as well. Amen? Amen. And so the Bible sets the stage. And this prophecy is so astounding to me. The majority of the Christian world thinks Adventists nuts because of the interpretation of this chapter. They think we're crazy because of this forecast. Speaks of the, the unique relationship between the United States and the papacy. But before we go into the scriptures, let's go into the first one here. Describing this country which we live. The Bible says in Revelation 13, 11, he had two horns like a lamb and spake as a what, everyone? A dragon. Now, this always puzzles me, and I'm sure it does you, the two polar opposites, and my brother talked about it this morning. This country is lamb-like as a form of godliness, so to speak, looks the part, but really within its inner core, it's dragon-like. And what my brother said this morning is powerful. It really has a dragon heart. And why does he say heart? Because it speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if it speaks as a dragon, it only speaks what comes out of its heart. Amen? So we can even see the lamb-like, dragon-like attributes of the United States, for an example, in the dollar bill. Right smack dab in the middle is the words, in God we trust. Pretty lamb-like, don't you think? Amen? And then you look to the left, you've got nuvos ordo seclorum, New order of the ages, you've got the all-seeing eye, you've got Masonic symbols all over the thing, which really points to Lucifer. Pretty dragon-like, don't you think? And so this weird amalgamation of lamb-like and dragon-like is even seen on a dollar bill. I went to D.C. a couple months back, and it's funny that I'm coming, speaking right after uh, Elder Gregory, because we went to the Remnant Church in D.C., and when we got there, it was like, Elder Gregory just left, he was just here, and he preached. What a guy to follow up after, but... Praise the Lord. Anyhow, I went to D.C. and when I went to the Capitol, what really blew my mind was this lamb-like, dragon-like characteristic I saw and felt with being there at D.C. Now, excuse the pictures. These are from my phone. I'm not, I'm not a photographer. Um, that is, anybody know what that building is? Lincoln Memorial, right? Now, look at the architecture of the building. What does it remind you of? What culture? Greek. Greek. Daniel chapter 8, right? And then right across from the Lincoln Memorial, you have that obelisk, which is a monument to the what? Sun God, right? That's an ancient Egyptian uh, obelisk or symbol to, to Ra. And what, what puzzled me was this. As soon as you walk up those steps, you can't see in the dark, but right in the middle, you see this. As soon as you walk in, it's Abraham Lincoln sitting on a throne. Now, what I'm talking about is the lamb-like, dragon-like characteristics of this country. He's sitting on the throne. And I'm like, okay. Why is he sitting on the throne? Well, who cares? He's in a building that looks like a Greek temple. 
But you can't read the words, but I'm going to read it to you again. I apologize for my photography skills. But right on top, this is what really caught my attention. It says, in this temple, as in the hearts of the people for whom he saved the unit, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined forever. The word temple. And I said to myself, wait a minute, a temple is a place where a God is housed. Are you in agreement? So right here in our name, and by the way, they have the Jefferson Memorial too. So they got these temples in Greek architecture right in the nation's capital. And I said, wow, if this is not dragon-like, I don't know what it is. And I just found this on the web. This was Zeus Temple. Same, same structure. And guess what? When you walk in Zeus Temple, he's sitting on the throne. The first thing you see. And so isn't the Bible on point? Lamb that speaks as a dragon. But now let's get into the word. Amen. The Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 12, this nation causeth the, what's the word? And them which dwelleth therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Now we're going to take our time a little bit because this sentence alone is mind blowing. The United States is going to cause the whole world to give honor to the papacy. You're like, so what? I've heard this before. The United States is going to cause all the Hindus in India to honor the papacy. All the Muslims in Saudi Arabia and Iraq to honor the papacy. All the atheists in Russia and China to honor the papacy. All the workers of witchcraft in voodoo in Africa and the Caribbean to honor the papacy. T tell me that's not a wild, bold prophecy. You see what happens when you take your time in the scripture? And why do they think we're crazy? Notice what happens in the United States. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh what everyone? On the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. The Bible then says, guess what? This is how the whole world gets on the same bandwagon. Within this country, there is going to be miracles that are done that will assist with deceiving other nations into honoring the papacy. Are you with me? But notice the, the, what I've got underlined here. This is pretty much a Bible study. And he doeth great wonders and also fire coming down from heaven. Servant of the Lord said it's actually literal fire that will come down from heaven. This is not symbolic talk. There will be literal miracles done in this country. Now, the words that I underlined here is powerful because great wonders and fire coming down from heaven is direct reference to the Old Testament. Great wonders, when the Bible speaks of great wonders, it's always, you read it in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, affiliated with the plagues of Egypt. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his household, before our eyes, Psalms 136, verse 4, to him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. Wait a minute. The Bible says only God does great wonders. Whenever he mentions great wonders, it was his hand, the miracles in Egypt. But in Revelation, we see that there will be a power doing great wonders. In other words, whoever is doing these miracles are going to be doing miracles that are only attributed to God. 
Let's move on. The second term that I underlined was, and fire comes down from heaven. The only time that that happened, really, was the showdown, besides in Leviticus, the showdown of Mark Carmel, when Elijah had gathered the false prophets, and he said, if your God is God, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. Now, Revelation, it says, in this country, there's going to be a movement within this country doing miracles such as great wonders and causing fire to come down from heaven. Both are only attributed to God. Are you with me? Do you see how powerful this deception is going to be? So in essence, what the Bible is saying is that there's going to be a movement within this country. People may be turning water into blood. People may be causing frogs up. Do you know that Satan mimicked some of the miracles in Egypt? He mimicked turning the, the rod into, into a serpent. He mimicked turning water into blood. Howbeit, he didn't do the whole river, praise the Lord. He turned some water into blood. And he mimicked causing the frogs coming up. He also mimicked causing fire coming down from heaven. Anybody know where that's found? It's in the book of Job. Job chapter 1, when his children are slain and God gives him permission, it says fire came down from heaven. So in the last days, fire will come down from heaven. These miracles will be perpetrated in the United States, and people will think, oh, man, that's got to be from the Lord. I remember that story in the book of Kings. I know God did wonders in Egypt. That's got to be from the Lord. But Jesus gives us an idea of who will be doing these miracles in this country. For there shall arise false Christ, and what's that next two words? And shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, I'm going slowly because I want the Bible to explain the prophecy. Jesus gives a name to the people who's going to be doing signs and wonders in the end days. And he calls them false Christ and false prophets. Did you get it? All right, quickly, what is a false prophet? For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his what, everyone? Ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I know that was a lot, but basically the Bible is saying a false prophet or a false apostle, according to the Bible, is one who wears the garment of Christianity, but in his inner, inner core, he is a vessel for Satan. Now, according to Revelation, there's going to be great wonders, right? Fire from heaven. God, Jesus himself says only the false prophet will do that. Somebody who is in the garment of Christianity. So in other words, there's going to be a movement, a Christian, quote unquote, movement within the United States, doing miracles that are only attributed to God the Father, causing fire down from heaven, maybe turning water into blood, all for the fact of deceiving the world into worshiping the beast. Are you with me? And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the who? For they are the spirits of devils working miracles. Now, this is so astounding to me. My brother touched on it this morning, how Satan morphs into different forms. 
He started out front as a, as a pagan entity persecuting God's power. Then he gave his seat, power, and authority to Rome. Revelation chapter 13, first couple verses. And then in the United States, he's going to use a Christian movement. Now, the United States is a Protestant country. He's going to use a Protestant Christian movement within the United States that thinks they are doing God's work, but in reality, they're going to be possessed with devils causing fire down from heaven, all to deceive. Are we ready for this storm? Through the agency of spiritualism, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and many undeniable wonders will be performed. And as the spirits will profess faith in the Bible. Did you hear that? The spirits will profess faith in the Bible and manifest respect for the institutions of the church. Their work will be accepted as manifestations of divine power. Men under the influence of evil spirits will work miracles. They will make people sick by casting their spell upon them and will then remove the spell, leading others to say that those who were sick have been miraculously healed. Now, folks, we see Satan has preparing this mighty deception to come even now. There's false miracles going on right now. It's only a preparation stage of what is to come very soon. And we're going to see how soon this is. Continuing the prophecy and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. Speaking of this Protestant or this false prophet movement, by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make a what, everyone? To the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm guilty of a lot of the times, and I don't do it anymore, of reading the Bible and pretending I knew, know what it says. You know, anybody do that? You know, we had this fear of looking silly or, or not. You know, you hear it a million times, but you really don't know what it means. That was me with this. And... Okay, I said, Lord, okay, so there's a Protestant movement that's going to be doing miracles, and the whole purpose is so that they can make an image to the beast. What in the world is that? Great controversy explains it so powerfully, and then I'll do my best after. In order for the United States to form an image of the beast, the religious power must so control the civil government that the authority of the state will also be employed by the church to accomplish her own ends. Now let me break something down to the best of my ability. You've got the beast, who is who? What entity is the beast? Papacy, I know we're asleep. Can, can, you guys need to stand up or something, get some exercise? You doing okay out there? Okay, I know it's been a long day. The papacy is the beast, right? These miracles are to make an image to the beast. So an image is not the actual thing. Are you in agreement? The image is something that looks just like the beast. Nebuchadnezzar rose an image in Daniel chapter 3, right? So if, you, if you're on the plane of Dora and you walk and you saw this image of Nebuchadnezzar, automatically from a distance you're going to say, you know what? Man, that looks just like Nebuchadnezzar. It's got the same beard, the same makeup, the same clothes. It looks just like him. And so what's going to happen in the Bible prophecy, something that looks just like the papacy is going to rise up in the United States. Do you understand? So what does the papacy look like? What's so unique about the papacy? 
The papacy is the only organization upon the earth where the pope is the head of the church and he is the head of the state. It is unique upon the face of the earth. He is the only person that is the leader of the church. Imagine Ted Wilson being the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the president of the United States. He said, amen, praise the Lord. <laughs> that is unique only to the papacy. So what the servant of the Lord is saying plainly is when that is duplicated, when you have the merging of church and state, I don't know where that is, but I thought I was pretty cool. <laughs> when these two entities come together, that is the image of the beast. That's what looks just like the papacy. So when Africa looks at the United States, when this happens, they're going to be like, wow, that looks just like the Vatican. All the other countries will look at the United States. You know what? Everything, their whole setup is just like Rome. Do we understand? And the purpose of the image of the, uh, let me get, not get ahead of myself, but these miracles that are done in the name of Jesus, that's the thing we're not getting. There's going to be miracles done in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine an evangelist on TV? I'm not going to name some of them, but you turn on the TV, you see a TV evangelist. And he's saying, you know what? I've just got a word from the Lord. And he wants me to spread this word to the people. And he's healing people and doing all kind of wonders. And then he says, you know what? God has laid upon my heart that we need to keep his holy day holy. And he's talking about Sunday. And then he says, you know what, to, to proclaim in front of all the world that I have the backing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Father, would you send fire from heaven? In the name of Jesus, would you send fire from heaven? And imagine fire coming down from heaven, burning up the altar in the church. What would that do to your faith? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Then you're going to get neighbors knocking on your door saying, you know what, 1 Kings chapter 18 the Bible clearly says that when fire comes down from heaven, let him be God. The book of Psalms 134 says, to him alone doeth great wonders. Are you ready for the storm? So when this image is duplicated, when they come together, do you see how crazy this prophecy is and how bold it is? When this is duplicated, this is what's going to happen. Only when this is duplicated. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. If you come to the workshop tomorrow, I, I spend way more time on the second angel's message, which shows forth Sunday worship from the Bible as being the mark or the abomination or the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The Bible uses multiple names, and I don't have the time to get into it now. But when this union is put together, the baby of the papacy will now come forth in this country as a mandated law. Really quick for those who are confused about this, Daniel 7 speaks about the same power, same entity, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change times and laws. And so when this Sunday sacredness law is put into place by this country, you see, here's, here's one thing I want to explain. 
Right now, since the deadly wound that has not been completely healed yet and will not be healed until the image is in place. Do you know why? The papacy in 1798, I say, got its right arm cut off. Now, in the Bible, the right arm is the arm of power. It's what I call the, arms, the arm that lays down, that lays the smacketh down, right? It, it lays down the law. And the papacy had that executive power cut off. Now, our government is made of the legislative branch, ju judicial branch, and executive branch. Legislative branch issues the laws. Judicial makes sure, makes sure that they're okay and they're right. Executive executes them. The papacy right now has legislative, judicial, but no executive branch. But when they link up with the most powerful army in the world, a universal army, they now will be able to execute their laws because now they have that power once again. Do you understand? And so the proof of the change of the Sabbath, we can get into it the next, but this is one of the scriptures that we use. And also it's in their own publications. Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change, this backs up Daniel 7.25, Saturday Sabbath to Sunday was her act, and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical authority in religious things. And so when this occurs... Then this occurs. Guess what? That is just the beginning of the storm. Now, that's the prophecy in a nutshell. That's the quickest way I could describe it. This is the forecast of what's to come. Now, let's deal with some doubts. Doubts that I had myself. Now, I, you know, I'm not going to say doubts, but questions. I love to ask the Lord questions, and I think you should do the same. I said, Lord, what about the Bill of Rights? The three angels' messages, especially the second and the third, is going to go to other churches. And you better believe they're going to ask you this question. And they think us nuts because of things like this. Bill of Rights. Now, I learned a lot about our country, and I'm not going to get into it because of time, but let's move forward. Bill of Rights, there's actually 10 of them in the Constitution. There's a whole bunch of amendments, but the first 10 amendments are called the Bill of Rights. Now, these 10 Bill of Rights supposedly has never been changed. And I find it very ironic that there's 10 Bill of Rights, just like there's 10 commandments, and they're claiming that these have never been changed, just like God's law has never been changed. But the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Wait a minute. God says that when this image is formed, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to respect an establishment of religion. But you're going to run across Protestants and people in this country who can't get past the Bill of Rights. Because when our forefathers came together, this wasn't the second, this wasn't the third, this was the first amendment. Do you know what that means? In order of importance, this was the most important. And that's why this country was a blessing, because the first thing they wanted to do was separate church and state. But what God is declaring is that they will come together. Isn't that a bold prophecy? Do you see why we look crazy? Well, let's talk a little history here. February 19, 1942, right after Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, known as the Day of Infamy, when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor and the United States entered into World War II. February 19, 1942, President Roosevelt issued Executive Order 9066 ordered the mass evacuation of Japanese from the West Coast, this happened in California, 
and other military areas, this order affected about 120,000 citizens and non-citizens of Japanese origin. The stated purpose of removing this entire ethnic group was for the protection against espionage and against sabotage. Congress made it a crime to refuse to leave a military area when ordered to do so. In this time, they would come to your door. If you were of Japanese descent, now in, in my experience in the world, which was three and a half years ago, there's a, there's, a, there's a jail in Sacramento that I actually had the unfortunate opportunity of, of staying in. It was a, a branch that they transferred me to. And that branch that I actually stayed in for 10 days was a Japanese concentration camp. Used to be. And at this time, you know what they were doing? If you were of Japanese descent, they would come to your house, knock on your door, and say, you, 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 you all got to come with me. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got a job. I go to school. What about my kids? And in some cases, they would be merciful and say, you got a week, we're coming right back. And if they didn't come, it was a crime, you get locked up anyway. So they were forcibly moved from their home, taken into these concentration camps, which is now a jail, because I was in one. And it was all to protect the nation from espionage and sabotage. Does it sound kind of familiar that what might happen to us? And here's my question about the Bill of Rights, back to the Bill of Rights. The Fifth Amendment, which is in the Bill of Rights. Do you know what it says? Don't worry about it. He said it. I, I didn't know what it said either until I did the research. <laughs> I had no clue. But the, the Fifth Amendment, which is in the Bill of Rights, which supposedly never changes, says everyone has a right to trial and everyone has a right to due process. That means you are not supposed to get locked up, thrown in jail, without going to trial first and before a judge or before a jury. Not one of these citizens saw a judge or jury. Do you see what's happening? And so if it happened before, do you think it'll happen again? You better believe it. You better believe it. We're not going to get into what, what, what's going on right now in the country for preparation. Although more than 60% of those ordered to evacuate were US citizens, none had a hearing or trial before the government locked them up in relocation camps. There goes your Bill of Rights. There goes your Bill of Rights. Here's another one that you get from the Protestant churches. And you'll get this. We need, to know, we need to have an answer for these things. This is a Protestant country. This is a church formed of churches that protested against Rome and left her tyranny and did all that we can to cut ourselves off from her doctrines, her persecutions, and her false beliefs. How in the world would a Protestant country link herself back up with the one they were trying to get away from. It's impossible. Well, let's talk about where we were and where we are today. Are we still protesting? It's true when the Reformation occurred, which we heard greatly about this morning in the Sabbath school, many of those who wanted freedom from the tyranny of Rome, guess where they came? My brother talked about it too. They, they fled to the earth, the United States, right? They came here to separate themselves from Rome and the false doctrines and to worship God from the Bible alone. Would you say amen? amen? And I praise God for that. But when they came to this country, the Roman Catholic Church rose up this man. I should say Satan rose up this man. He was mentioned in regards to being the father of the spiritual formation, Eastern mysticism. His name is Ignatius Loyola. 
He is known as the supreme general of the Jesuit movement. Now, the Jesuits were formed, and you can read this in Great Controversy, to bring back the lost sons and daughters of Protestantism at any means, by any means necessary. Their plan was to set up shop, follow the reformers to all the countries that they spread to, set up schools, and educate their children. Notice the Jesuit oath. And I know we've probably all seen this, but this is back to the basics. I furthermore promised to be Jesuit, you had to go through this oath. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they had to promise to make and wage relentless war, secretly or openly, against all heretics, Protestants and liberals, as I am directed to, to extirpate, exterminate them from the face of the whole earth. I will spare neither age, sex, condition. I will hang, waste, boil, flay, flay, strangle, and bury alive these infamous heretics, rip up the stomachs and wounds of their women, and crush their infants' heads against the walls in order to annihilate forever their, how do you say that word, execrable? Execrable race. And we can go on and on. I've actually read the document. It's in the Library of Congress. That's the actual copy. And if you look at the whole thing, it is horrendous. They will go to any lengths to deceive, destroy. They're the masters of disguise. But you know what people say to us Adventists? You guys are a bunch of conspiracy theorists. You know, there are people that are saying this is not even true. This oath is false. You guys are just nuts. You're crazy. You hate the Catholic Church. You got an evil vendetta. That's what the world will say, and that's what they're saying now. Okay. You don't, have, don't listen to us, Adventists. Don't, don't listen to us at all. But maybe you might want to listen to the second president of the United States. How about that? Let's try John Adams. Now, John Adams was writing a letter to, the, to J- Thomas Jefferson. And they were concerned about these Jesuits that were following the reformers. And notice what John Adams said. Shall we not have regular swarms of them here in as many disguises as only a king of the gypsies can assume? Dressed as painters, publishers, writers, and schoolmasters. If ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on earth and in hell, it is this society of Loyola's. This didn't come from a citizen. This came from the president. Okay, you don't want to listen to the second president of the United States? Let's try, let's try the 16th president. The war, the Civil War, would never have been possible without the sinister influence of the Jesuits. I've heard this quote before, and I know many, but the, the next quote I heard, I, I almost got Pentecostal. Almost. Almost. Not the false prophet up here, praise the Lord. But here we go. Abraham Lincoln, I do not pretend to be a prophet, but though not a prophet, I see a very dark cloud on the horizon. And that dark cloud is coming from Rome. A cyclone such as the world has never seen will pass over this country, spreading ruin and desolation from north to south. Neither I nor you but our children will see those things. Woo! Woo! Hey, Lord, help me. Help me. He said, I I pretend not to be a prophet, but that brother prophesied. Little did he know he prophesied Revelation 13 about the storm that is here 
right now. And you see the position of our country, that's not too long ago. This was 1860s. That's not too long ago. Maybe, well, for us it is, but really, it really isn't. He made this statement. Do you know that around this time, the United States, its citizens were in fear. Now, now I'm going to make this plain. This message is not against Roman Catholics. I got Roman Catholic friends, and I love them to death. I know Roman Catholic people who love the Lord with a passion more than some so-called Adventists. So this is not against Roman Catholicism. I'm just preaching the word of the Lord. Straight from the Bible, what the Bible is telling us to get ready to do. This is, a, this is talking about a system. Amen? Amen? And so during this time in this country, our country was concerned about the uh, population of Catholics increasing. And so a, a whole lot of anti-Catholic anti movements were rising up around this time because there were 7 million Catholics in the country at this time. And they were worried. There's like 78.2 million now. I'm just explaining to you the atmosphere of the United States back then. They wanted everything, nothing to do with Rome, nothing to do with their doctrines. They knew clearly what the Jesuits were about. So what do you think the president would think, Abraham Lincoln, if he saw this? Not only did our country want nothing to do with Rome, the last thing they wanted to even, person they wanted to deal with was a Jesuit. Not only are we dealing with Rome, we're dealing with a Jesuit pope. You see how far we've come? What about this? I know some of you have seen this. Not only are we friends with them, but we're hiring them to work in our government. President Barack Obama has named Jesuit father Thomas J. Reese as the newest member of the United States Commission on International, watch this, Religious Freedom. How ironic is that? That's like hiring a pedophile to babysit your kids. And I don't mean to be as crude as that, but that's exactly what it is. You've got a Jesuit. Remember the Jesuit oath? I'll smash your baby's heads against the walls if you don't hop on board and join the program. That's what they said. But he's on the board for international religious freedom. That's just not for the country, that's for the world. Hired by our government. Are we, are we protesting? Is this really a Protestant nation? I know, don't get me wrong, there's still people protesting and they're all gathered here, amen? amen. Notice this quote. I'm gonna try and speed through this so much. When appearing as members of their order, speaking of the Jesuits, they wore a garb of sanctity, visiting prisons and hospitals, ministering to the sick and the poor, professing to have renounced the world and bearing the sacred name of Jesus, who went about doing good, but under this blameless exterior, the most criminal and the deadly purposes were concealed, and deadly purposes were concealed. It was a fundamental principle of the order that the end justifies the means. By this code, lying, theft, perjury, assassination were not only pardonable but commendable when they served the interests of the church. I want you to focus on the first part. They're going to appear wearing a garb of sanctity, visiting prisons and hospitals, ministering to the sick and to the poor, and professing they have renounced the world. Out of all the popes, this is what she said about the Jesuits. Look what the Jesuit Pope is doing. Do you notice that he renounces the world? He doesn't drive the fancy cars. He doesn't live in expensive palaces. You know why? Because he says he's renounced the world. 
He drives a little beat-up, I don't even know what the car is, but it's a little old beat-up car. He has the garment of sanctity and humility. He's always visiting the prisons and visiting the sick. Do you know where we are in Bible prophecy? Do you know people tremble and have cried hours to live in times that we've lived in, we're living in now? But yet we're Laodicea. We're clueless as the winds that are blowing around us now. Right before our faces. God says pay attention to the forecast. What about all the Protestants we heard this morning? Sola Scriptor, they died for the Bible. Heard about him this morning, William Tyndale. And I'm just going to go, I just love this story. This guy translated the New Testament from Greek. He got arrested for it. He was strangled and burnt at the stake. The last sentence. It is estimated today that some 90% of the New Testament in the 1611 King James Bible is the work of Tyndale. Would you say amen? amen. How many people have a King James Bible? How many people in your broken moments have opened the word of God to somewhere in the New Testament and that scripture has changed your life? How many people have been restored by reading something in the New Testament? How many people have claimed promises and seen them come true from a Bible verse in the New Testament? Praise the Lord for William Tyndale. He died so that we can experience that relationship with God. Amen? Amen. The men just like him, Martin Luther and all these other men, Jerome and Huss, which my sister, I don't think she spoke about, but read great controversy. These men died because they were going back to the basics. And you know what the spirit is. You know, they, 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 they perish with what people would, would laugh about today. What would they think if they saw this? Now, I know we, know, we all know this, a lot of us seen this, but that's Kenneth Copeland. He's a, probably the richest Protestant in the world. Billionaire, Kenneth Copeland. And tomorrow, I'm going to talk about his charismatic movement tomorrow. Because it's no mistake that out of all the movements upon the face of the earth, the charismatic movement is over there with Rome. That's Bible prophecy. That's spiritualism and the papacy hand in hand. And the Protestant nations of this church. We are living in some serious times. You don't want to miss it tomorrow. I'm going to delve into that. We don't have time today. Yeah, he, Tony Blair supposedly died. I don't know if he's dead or not, but who... You know, that's not the, the point is, is that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. Now, for those who have questions on Ellen White, I love to pull this quote out. Look, look what she wrote in 1891. Now, for those who don't know, forgive me. The Protestant churches of this country have now flown to Rome. This is Kenneth Copeland and some of the evangelical leaders. They had lunch with the Pope for three hours. They were high-fiving, excited to be unified and fulfilling Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. They said, you know what, we can still disagree in certain doctrines, but we're just happy to be unified with finishing the work, is what they said. Sounds good, doesn't it? But John chapter 17, is it verse 7 or verse 17, when Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth? What verse is it? 17.7? 17, how can I forget that? 17.17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In the unity prayer, God wants to make sure that you are unified with truth. Amen? Yeah. 
Notice the prophecy. The professed Protestant world will form a confederacy with the man of sin. Is that happening now? That's happening now. They're shaking hands with Rome. The Lutherans have signed a document. The Methodists have signed a document saying the pro Kenneth Copeland came back from this church, got on the pulpit in front of millions of Christians and said the protest is over. Tony Blair said it, but when he came back from this trip, Kenneth Copeland said it. Who's Tony Blair? That's the British Prime Minister. I t it's this light. It's this light. I'm getting hot. Sorry. Tony Palmer. Mercy. I'm mis misquoting scriptures. And I'm, t I'm sweating up here. I don't know what it Forgive me. Forgive me. You know what I'm talking about. And, and, and please correct me because I want to speak the truth up here. Amen? Yeah. Do not be scared. That's what we're all about. Amen? Yeah. And, and you're doing it in love. Yeah, I'll come get Thanks, brother. I, I need to hurry up. I'm taking way too long here. But those, those who doubt Anna White, she wrote this in 1891. And this is what's powerful about this prophecy. She wrote it in a time when the Protestants were really protesting. She looked like a nut and sounded crazy for writing this. Imagine, if you will, and I'd love to give this illustration, that it was in, we're in, it's the year 1844, right? And we're all African-American. Just pretend that you are, even though you're not, okay? We're all African-American, and we're all working on the plantation in Mississippi as brothers and sisters, amen? amen. And we're working in the yard. It's hot. Actually, not the yard. In the plantation, we're picking cotton, whatever the master has us doing. And... I'm pumped up. I come running in the cotton fields, and I'm like, hey, hey, y'all, I got something to tell you. And you're like, hush your mouth. Master's going to hear you and whoop us all. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just trying to paint an illustration. By no means am I minimizing what African-Americans that my people went through during this time. But the illustration is this. We're all working. We're hushed. We're quiet. I come with this revelation. Man, I had this crazy dream last night. And I think God wants me to share it with you all. And you're like, okay, you're intrigued now. Okay, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Master went in the house, hurry up and tell me. And I'm like, here's the dream, God told me. I had a dream last night, and it's a prophecy from the Lord. He told me that one day in this country, we're gonna have a black president. You're gonna be like, boy, you done spent too much time in the sun. I'm going to call Master myself and tell him to whoop you and, and whoop some sense into you. But you get the illustration? When she wrote this prophecy, it seemed like madness. But we are living in a time where Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. Would you say amen? amen. Oh, folks, this is some serious times. But notice this, this quote. Protestantism shall give the hand of fellowship to the Roman power. Is that coming to pass right now? So she got the first half. Now check out the second one. Then there will be a law against the Sabbath of God's creation. And then it is that God will do his strange work in the earth. Hello. She got the first half. Are we ready for this storm? Oh, I got to read this. He visited the Pope too. Joel Osteen. He's got one of the biggest churches in this country. Over 70,000 members. And he... I'm not going to talk about the brother... I'm going, to let, I'm going to let one of our brothers in a Protestant church tell you about him. Now, I almost got Pentecostal when I read this quote, too. 
Now, this is not an Adventist talking about Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen went to meet the Pope, and he, too, was singing the same tune that he's excited about the reuniting with the Pope and Catholicism. This is major. Joel Osteen has joined the rank of all of the popular ministries in bowing his knee to the Antichrist system. This is not an Adventist saying this. And those that blindly follow his leadership will be the first ones in line with their hand out to be marked by the beast. Pastor Mark Herod Sr. of the Pentecostal Lighthouse Church. Would you say amen? amen. Sheep I have from other folds. When the latter rain power falls, I have full faith that it's going to fall on people like Pastor Mark. And he's one of these people, one of the representatives that will come out of Babylon. He's already preaching the message right now. Notice what Pastor Mark, all I, all I know is that I want to be next to Pastor Mark when he gets called out. Because if he's on fire right now, let me, let me read what else he says. Any Protestant ministry, Pastor Mark, that links up with the Pope and Catholicism is betraying the sacrifice of millions of faithful Christians that have died at the hands of this brutal, dictatorial, and oppressive religion that has never, represent, never represented the church of the living God as outlined in New Testament teaching, he said. Would you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord for Pastor Mark. Now, guess what? Since we've mentioned his name, I believe it's our duty to pray for him, that the Lord will fully pull him out. Amen? Amen. Remember Pastor Mark in prayer. You know what people are going to say and what they say about us? Man, you Adventists, you guys, you guys don't have the love of God in you. You guys are so bitter. Why are you holding the grudge? Let it go. Seriously. Jesus is all about forgiveness, right? Turn the other cheek. Why are you holding on to something that happened 538 to 17? What is the matter with you people? It happened before you even became a church. They didn't do anything. Matter of fact, John Paul II publicly apologized for some of the stuff he did. Some, yeah. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. Correct me. Some. So why are you holding grudges? Why can't you just join everybody in love and let's finish God's work? Doesn't it sound good? That's the arguments you will be presented. But let's, let's, let's see what God says. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So if there was a movement that is not speaking to the word of God, if they have no light in them, what do they have? Darkness. What does the Bible say about darkness? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Would you say amen? amen. Go ahead and forgive them. Go ahead and pray for them, but don't go fellowshipping with them. Amen. Don't get in the same bed with the Pope and say, we're buddies now. Because there's no light in them, the Bible says. And we have no business and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove or reveal them. That's what we're doing tonight. Oh, let me go back. You're not ready for that one. <laughs> How much time do I have, brother? Because I want to get to one last part. Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. You guys pray that we'll get through this. <sighs> okay. That was the Protestant churches, right? We, we can see clearly where we are as a country. We're not really protesting our presidents are in bed with the Pope. Our churches are happily running back to the mother, right? 
What about the Adventist church? Hello. Okay. Now this is from, oh, I went, I went way back, way back. I just, it was that, it, yeah, it's that mind blowing. Now this is from, I, you know what? I'm new to the faith. Maybe you guys can help me. I don't know what Spectrum magazine is really, but I know it's, they're suspect. It's supposed to be an Adventist magazine. I say supposed to be because after reading this, this is not Adventist. It's not Adventist. It's what I call nominal, only in name. So here we go. He's reading. I'm not, we're not going to read the whole thing. But this guy is so overwhelmed, this Adventist, this is an Adventist article with Pope Francis. He didn't read Great Controversy. He didn't. Because he, he, he's, he's, he's all enamored by his humility and how he visits the poor and his message to everybody. He didn't read Great Controversy. And his conclusion about this new pope and the Catholicism, just read the, I'll read the last paragraph. He says, I was struck by how his vision for the Catholic Church, speaking of the Pope, is so relevant and applicable to the Adventist Church. He's already wrong. We don't even got to read no more. But we will to understand where we are in Bible prophecy. This seems to be an inversion of roles to those who still see the papacy as a beast. He's talking about you. It is undeniable that it is increasingly speaking more like a lamb than a dragon. Woo! Yeah. Meanwhile, the top levels of the SDA church seems to be hunkering down in obsessions and procedures. In the words of Francis, which have little to do with its mission in the world, ironically, the infamous kingly power of beastly religious leadership seems to apply less and less to the Catholic Church and more and more to those who fiercely criticize it. That came from an Adventist article. We heard what Pastor Mark said. Pentecostal minister. This came from an Adventist. Are we ready for the storm? It is true, and I'm going to try and speed through this. I might even skip some. That when the reformers came to this country, you know what? I'm going to skip this. I am. Because I'm going to talk about it more tomorrow. And I guess I will. People are not going to be here tomorrow? No, we, we... I have a bad habit of, well, you shouldn't have said that, brother. You tempted me here. (laughs) My wife knows I talk too much. Yeah, she's, praise the Lord. Have mercy. Now I'm in a conflict now. What do I do? Lord. Well, I just want to, I just want to teach you a principle in scripture really quick. This is a, okay, let me go back to this. (laughs) When the reformers came to this country, this is the beauty of the first angel's message. When they came to this country, it was God's ideal to totally separate God's people from false doctrine. And it was his ideal that they do come to this country. But when they came to this country, not only to get away from the influence and oppression of Rome, but to completely separate herself, the church, from all her false doctrines. And that's the beauty of the first angel's message. Do you know the first... When the churches came here, the Protestant churches, they did a lot 
to separate themselves from the false doctrines, you know? They're the baby of the Catholic. The Protestant churches are the children of the Catholic churches, so to speak, as they, in the sense that they came out of Rome during the Reformation, right? And as they came out, God said you need to be separate from among her. But a lot of the churches, even to this day, are still attached to the mother by an, a, an umbilical cord of doctrines, right? And the two main ones are these, amongst others, even eternal torment, right? But one of the major ones which will take place, well, actually, both of these will pay, play a major part, and I'll talk about it in the workshops tomorrow. But the Sunday Sabbath, this, this, this doctrine that binds them together, you see, the first angel's message, do you know what it was? It was a pair of scissors. When that message was preached, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him. Do you know what that message proclaimed? the pillars of the Seventh-day Adventist church. You know, give glory to him, you glorify God in, your, in, 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 your, in revealing Christ's character, but it also, giving glory to God, is the health message of this church. You glorify him in your body. You fear God, keeping his commandments. The hour of his judgment is the message of the sanctuary. It also is the message of the state of the dead. To understand the judgment, you have to understand the state of the dead. Amen? Amen. Worship him that made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of waters is the message of the Sabbath. Fear of God is really also righteousness by faith. I don't want to get too deep, but when that message was proclaimed, God set a platform and says, this is where my church is supposed to be. And all those who did not heed to the platform, that's why this church is special. The first angel's message proclaims this movement. Do you get it? It was God's scissors here. The first angel's message was the scissors to totally cut yourself away from Babylon with false doctrine. Amen. And the scissors was meant to snip that cord of Sunday sacredness, immortality of the soul, eternal torment, all these false doctrines. But those who did not heed the first angel's message automatically are still bound through doctrine to the mother. Are you following me? Now, notice the terminology here. It is well to remind the Presbyterians, the Baptists, speaking of the Protestants, the Methodists, and all other Christians, that the Bible does not support them anywhere in their observance of Sunday. Sunday is an institution of the Roman Catholic Church, and those who observe the day observe a, what's that word? Remember the word here. This is what the Catholic Church is using. They're saying you're obeying our commands, right? Notice the terminology here. It was the Catholic Church which has transferred this rest to Sunday excuse me, in remembrance of the resurrection of our Lord. Therefore, the observance of Sunday by the Protestants is an, what's that underlined? Homage they pay in spite of themselves to the authority of the Catholic Church. I want to focus on the terminology that they're using. For those who are still worshiping on Sunday, there's, the Catholic Church is saying you're obeying our commands and you're paying homage to us. Now, in light of that language, let's look at scripture. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Bible even says that whoever you obey, you are the servant of the one who you obey. So the Protestant church is automatically joined to the Catholic church are the servants of the Catholic church. I'm not getting ahead of myself but tomorrow, but notice another principle. This is powerful, I think. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot, Revelation 17, 
Rome is called what? A harlot? Is one body? How many bodies? For two saith he shall be one flesh. Here's the principle in the scripture. Through false doctrines, the Protestant churches are still attached to Rome. Therefore, they are joined to the harlot. Now, I don't want to get too deep. I'm going to cover this more tomorrow. The act of Sunday worship in the Bible is called fornication. It's also called the abomination of desolation. So in the act of committing fornication, they are fornicating with the harlot. Are you following me so far? With, with the belief in false doctrine. This fornication, the Bible says, if you're joined to a harlot, you're how many bodies? In Revelation chapter 14, the second angel's message is Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The Protestant churches is not, it is mentioned, but the Bible only uses one title for both churches, the Protestant and Rome. He calls them both Babylon. Why? Because the Protestant church is joined to the harlot and they're one body. Did I lose everybody? Yeah? We'll just come tomorrow. We'll talk about it a little bit more. It's a deep concept. Through the two great eras, the immortality of the soul, Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. I'm going to talk about immortality of the soul. It is powerful tomorrow. That movie, Heaven and It's For Real, is one of the most popular movies out right now, right? It's a story of a boy who has a near-death experience, and Christian churches are producing this. Uh, a near-death experience, he supposedly dies. He goes to heaven, and when he's in heaven, he sees his grandpa. He sees his sister, and he sees Jesus riding on a rainbow horse or something, and he sees the Virgin Mary. He wakes up and tells his father, I saw grandpa and I saw sister. And, and the dad's like, wait a minute. I never told you you had a sister. The little girl supposedly died before he was born and the parents never told him. Spiritualism. And by the way, we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, an ordained Seventh-day Adventist minister produced that movie. Tomorrow. I met him, yep. Are you ready for the storm? Because it's here. Ordained. Spiritualism, I'll talk about a little bit more. I'm going to skip this one because we're going to talk about it tomorrow. This is the last couple, last slides. Last, this, is, this is a question I had for the Lord. The prophecy that we should believe in with all our hearts. Proclaimed in Revelation 13 tells us that the United States, because of the Protestant movement within this, within this country, would do such great miracles that it would deceive the whole world. The Buddhists in China, the Jews in Israel, the Hindus in India, and the Muslims in Saudi Arabia, all of them to worship the papacy. And I said, Lord, I'm having problems with this one. So far, you've answered my doubts and my concerns, but Lord, I used to be a Muslim. I was raised Muslim, so I know what Muslims are taught to believe, and they're, they're taught to believe to look out for an antichrist, one who's going to come and impersonate Christ. They're taught to believe the, the workings of Satan, so to speak, and you better believe they do not like Christians. In the, you know, I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. Let me take that back. Some of them don't. The majority of Muslims cannot stand the United States. 
if you go to a Muslim country. Now, I've been in Saudi Arabia, so I can say that. They can't stand the United States. Not only that, they think it's the uttermost blasphemy that you say Jesus is God. Blasphemous to them. If you was in their country, they would stone you. They hate the United States, and you're committing blasphemy. So how in the world, Lord, does the United States, who they hate, convince them that Jesus is God? And they worship on Sunday on the same page as the papacy. Some good questions, right? Islam eschatology. Now, I, I just tried to be smart by putting that word there. <laughs> I, when I was typing it up, I, I typed in Muslim end time and this word eschatology. I said, what in the world is that? And then when I found out what it means, it actually means end time beliefs. I said, man, that's going to make me sound kind of educated. Let me, <laughs> let me throw that on there. But anyhow, that's my Muslim Jesus. The Muslims believe in their end time prophecy that Messiah, Jesus, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. They just don't believe he's God. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how you separate the two, but that's another discussion. They believe Jesus is going to come back, right? He's going to kill the Antichrist. He's going to get rid of all the wickedness. I'm giving you the short version. And he's going to issue an age of peace. That's their end time prophecy. They call him Esau, the prophet Esau. The spear of Esau shall plunge into the Dajjal's chest. The Dajjal is the Antichrist. He's a one-eyed Jew. Ending his dreaded reign. Then all battles will cease and the world will know an age of peace. The role of Esau will be just and all shall flock to him and enter the folds of the one true religion, Islam. Islam, by the way, if you're a Muslim, that means you submit to the will of Allah. Anybody who submits to the will of Allah is Muslim. So it's not that hard to be a Muslim. Muslim, not Muslim. That's one of the greatest travesties you can say. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's Muslim, not Muslim or Muslim. Muslim, mus, mus. Yeah. I, I know I used to bother me. You Muslims? Man, what are you talking about? No. Muslims, Muslim, okay? Muslim. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it right. Amen. All right, so they believe in that. We got to move forward. I'm taking far too much time. Hindu eschatology. I thought this was amazing. Kalki, well, let me go back. That's Vishnu, one of the main Hindu gods. Right? Did I get it right? Yeah. They believe he's going to come back reincarnated as this individual, riding a white horse with a sword. And his name is Kalki. He's the final incarnation of Vishnu, who's the major god. Kalki will be atop a white horse with a drawn blazing sword. Doesn't that sound like Revelation chapter 18? Or was that 19? 19. He is the harbinger of the end time in Hindu eschatology, after which he will usher in Satya Yuga. You know what that means? An age of peace. So hold on. He's going to come down. He's going to get rid of all the wickedness in the world white horse with the sword, and issue an age of peace. Are you following me? Buddhist eschatology. Okay, things kind of froze there, maybe. All right. They believe in the uh, Maitreya, who's going to come back. Now, Maitreya, his name means loving kindness, is regarded as a future Buddha of this world. He supposedly will arrive when Buddhist teaching has been lost and teach the pure teachings of Buddhism. Maitreya will unify 
all religions through his teachings and rescue humanity from economic and other crises by teaching a universal brotherhood. I re researched this more. They believe basically Maitreya is going to come when the, worth, when the earth is at its worst state. And he's going to come back and restore the teachings of Buddha. And then there will be an issue of age, uh, age of peace, issue of age of peace and brotherhood and humanity. Sounds very similar to the other two, doesn't it? All right. We know what the Jews believe. They're still, still waiting on the Messiah. And when he comes, he's going to lead the Jewish people, rebuild the temple, and lead the Jewish people and the world, and they're going to usher in, the Messiah will usher in the age of peace. And then I sat back and I said, Lord, this is crazy. They're all waiting on the Messiah to come back, get rid of evil, and issue an age of peace. Now, according to the prophecies given to this beloved church, there's only one person that's going to come back, put his feet on this earth, and attempt to issue an age of peace. It's not Jesus. I'm going to talk a, bit, a little bit about this tomorrow. You can start reading. Actually, I will. As a crown and act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ in different parts of the earth. He will be the Messiah to the Jews. He will be the prophet Isa to the Muslims. He will be Maitreya to the Buddhists. He will be Vishnu to the Hindus. And as he comes in different parts of the earth, Satan, in this book, Spirit of the, Servant of the Lord says he's going to come to issue what's called a temporal millennium. I don't have time. You know what temporal millennium means? An age of peace. He's going to fulfill the prophecies. And you know what? I'm speaking to a Muslim brother at the mosque. And you know what he told me? He said, whenever a prophet comes down from heaven. Because I was questioning, why do you believe the Quran when the Bible came before and it says certain things? And he says, Muhammad came. Whenever he ever came down, whatever he speaks, we listen to. So whenever Esau comes down with a new revelation, they're going to hop on board. And Satan himself is going to say, you know what? I want everybody to jump on the same ship. I want everybody to worship on Sunday. I got to skip through this. I got to skip through this. We're going to talk about this tomorrow anyway. This is the quote. We're going to talk about this tomorrow as well. You imagine, just imagine, if you will, this storm. They declared that they had the truth, that miracles were among them, that angels from heaven talked with them. This is talking about the earth against us, God willing. Heaven talked with them and walked with them, and great power and great signs and wonders were performed among them. And this was the temporal millennium which they had been expecting so long. The world was converted and in harmony with the Sunday law, and this little feeble people stood out in defiance of the laws of the land and the laws of God and claim to be the only ones right in the earth. Are you ready for the storm? You find a little bit more tomorrow. You're going to have ministers calling fire down in the name of Jesus. Right? And then you're going to have, quote unquote, Jesus himself coming down, saying, I back up everything these ministers are doing. And then he declares a unity for all the world to jump on board. And everybody's expecting this age of peace, but guess who's in the way of the age of peace?
I gotta skip through this quote, but I'll just read it to you. Satan is gonna be... There's a great controversy going on in my head too. Forgive me. Satan will bring disease and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin. In accidents by sea and land and great conflagrations, forgive me, in fierce tornadoes and hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves, earthquakes, in a thousand forms, Satan is exercising his power. And then the great deceiver will persuade men to charge all their troubles on those whose obedience to God's commandments is a perpetual reproof to transgressors. It will be declared that men offend God by the violation of Sunday, that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced. Those who destroy reverence for Sunday are preventing restoration of divine favor and prosperity. You will be in the way of their temporal millennium. Are you ready for a mother to come up to you and say, my child is dead because of you? A father loses his daughter and he says it's because of you. All the grief that Satan is causing in the earth will be blamed on you. The destruction, the tornadoes, the manifestation of wicked power by Satan, the famine, the destitution, the anger, the frustration will all be blamed on you and I. Are you ready for the storm? Let me get to the closing, closing slide. Forgive me for the time I've taken. But when the storm hits, folks, only those who have that shield of faith will be able to stand. And guess what? We're going back to the basics. It's also time to be fully committed to basic training. That means exercising your faith in God's word now. Because when it happens then, if you're not doing it now, you're not gonna be able to stand. You see, to be a soldier, especially in the Greek army, you have to know how to hold that shield. You have to know the weight, you have to know the balance. No man could just say on the day of war, I'm gonna fight. The general will look at you and say, son, I've never seen you on the training ground. It's training time now. Oh, I'll just read this quote tomorrow. It basically tells you that you have to study your Bible, exercise faith in God's word now. Folks, do you know Jesus? Don't you want to know him more after seeing all this? That's what this is all about. So that you would run to Jesus. He's the only one that has dealt with spirits, praise the Lord. He has faced all the evil spirits of darkness, the ones that we will face face to face. He's the only one that has been betrayed, persecuted. The only one that's been through a storm. You know what? He, he didn't have friends next to him. The only presence that he had since the beginning of time, before even we can even think of the word time, left him. He's the only one that stood alone when the church and the state came together to persecute him. Do you know him? See, the question I've been asking all day is, are you ready for the storm? But the number one question is, do you know him? Because he's been through the storm. Everything that we have to expect, according to Revelation 13, he's already walked through. He's carried a weight that no man or woman can ever imagine to carry. He's been through the storm. 
And guess what? He's the only one that came out victorious. Hallelujah. Don't you want to know him? The only one that can see us safely through. I love the picture of the storm. That's the biggest hurricane. You know what, the, we don't, you know what it's called in the middle? The eye of the storm. It's the part of the storm where it's the most peaceful. Folks, I declare unto you tonight that when this storm hits, regardless of the melee and the deception, if you know the Prince of Peace, you'll make it through safely. I love this scripture, and, and forgive me for rushing, but let this be our prayer tonight. Hopefully we'll go home with good dreams about Jesus and not about all the storms. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Let's get back to the basics, Father. Teach me your word. After he teaches you the word, your next step or your next request is, I will walk in thy truth. But Father, I can't walk in this truth because the standard is so high. I can't live up to that. So unite my heart to fear thy name. Would you all stand with me? And let us pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for giving us the forecast of what we should expect, being patient with us, Lord, with our Laodicean ways, holding back the winds of strife even now. We thank you for the mercy of your spirit that continues to woo and woo and never gives up. Oh, Lord, we hear you tonight. Some of us, Lord, are trembling at the future, but I pray that we would have more hope than fear. I pray that we wouldn't have any fear. That we would just have a complete trust in your righteousness. Oh, Father, bless us now. Give us a little energy, Lord. I know this was long. Please baptize us with your strength. Servant of the Lord says when we pray, we not only get spiritual strength, but we get physical strength. So I want to claim that in Jesus' name now because I know there's things that need to be done. Lead us continually in this night in Jesus' name. Let God's people say, This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.